This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Excitement around now because we all know that the next goal will win it. Otto drives it in, and it's in! Tate has done it, and for the first time in Wembley history, we can say with absolute certainty, that's the winner! Right, hello and welcome to another Blues Focus podcast with me, your host, John Graham. Once again, many thanks for taking the time to download this pod. And as ever, when you're looking for our pods online, please go to www.bluesfocuspod.co.uk. And if you do download from iTunes, then please leave a comment and rate rate these pods. It does mean a lot to us. So very, very special pod today. Um, Obviously, as ever, we've got Tom Oxlin with us. Tom, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. Top man, top man. And then uh, a, a very, very special guest. Somebody who doesn't really need any introduction, uh, certainly from me. An absolute legend of the club, a cult hero. Um, so I'm absolutely delighted to say, Paul Tate, welcome to our podcast. How are you, mate? I'm fine, thank you. Good to be here. Top man, top man. So a career that spans 11 years, 170 appearances, 14 goals, one of which was probably... Uh, well, absolutely etched in the history of the club, uh, which we'll obviously talk about a lot in, in more detail later on. Um, but I think what we try and do when, when we meet sort of the, the legends of the club, it's really to get an understanding of, I guess, how you got into the game and really starting from, I guess, day dot, you know, your, your love for the game, were you kicking the ball around in the streets? How did it all start for you, Paul? Uh, as I say, like, very, very early days, I was, I was always at a ball at my feet. Um, love football. You know, growing up on Castle Vale with a high-rise block of flats, I lived on a 10th floor of a high-rise block of flats on Castle Vale, and just below our flats there was a piece of grass, obviously, from flat to flat. There's always a, you know, grass to play on, and uh, I was out there all the time with my dad and my mates and everything playing at Castle Vale, and uh, it just grew from there, really. You know, from school, uh, I went to school in Hay Mills uh, after Castle Vale, and I, that's when I first started getting in the team, in the school team. I was seven, playing in the under-11s um, for for Redhill School. Um, and it wasn't not far from St Andrews, actually. And uh, that's when I started. My love, my love of the game, I was seven, six, seven in, in teams. And um, it just grew from there, really. You know, down to, from there down to uh, Sunday football. 
I first started off a couple of games with a team called Dunlop Terriers. I think they changed to Calthorpe Terriers after that. Um, I played a couple of games for them and then I moved from uh, Hay Mills area to Stetchford. I was looking for another team to join and um, someone said to me, oh, there's a team here that want to see a training called the Three Cs off Chelmsley Wood. And I went training with them at Kingshurst School um, at a little trial and they loved me and I liked, them, I liked playing for them or training with them. And they signed me and uh, I stayed there for about two two or three years, I think, until I joined a club, oh, another club off Chelmsley called North Warwick, who changed their name to Hurley Colts and we had our own ground over Tamworth Way. Okay. And um, but three C's was my main my main club. You know, I was myself was playing Brian Small, who was at uh, Villa and, and Blues, Matthew Fox, who went on to play with me at Birmingham. So we had you know, and we had about three or four of the lads who were at, at clubs as well. So we had a, you know, we had a fantastic uh, Sunday team, and it was a very, really comp- competitive league in the Castlevale Boys League. Um, there's us and Noel North Star, who were the best teams I'd say in the Midlands at the time. Yeah. They had like, that about six players who went on to play pro from their team, or Ian Clarkson, Daryl Burgess, Jason With, Andy Harris, Andy Williams, to name a few. Wow. Um, you know, the, we had, it was a really, really competitive league that we played in. But And, and, and when you weren't, obviously, pl- playing a lot of football, um, and I think, you know, that sort of, I bet, I bet the standard was, was pretty sharp, you know, back, back in the yeah. day, and probably probably that's maybe gone away a little bit these days, certainly, with, with, certainly from a from what I watch with, with my kids. But yeah. I think what, what, where I think what I'd like to maybe understand is obviously you'd love playing the game. And yeah. um, I, I think as, as most blues fans know, you, you've, you've very much been a follower of blues pretty much all your life, but yeah. was it always blues or were you sort of, you know, with your family background, what, what did yeah. you, who, who did you go and watch? First ever game was Villa against uh, Rangers, uh, Villa Park, 1976. Um, all my family are all Glaswegians, my dad and my uncles, and they all come down. My uncle had a box at Villa Park. He wasn't a Villa fan. He just had it for business. And uh, we all went down the game, and the game, there was major trouble at Villa Park that day, and the game got abandoned, or the Rangers fans destroyed the ground. Um, I was terrified, if I'm honest. It was only a little nipper, and I'll never forget it, the day. You know, it was, it was mad. So that was my first ever game. And then I went to, to watch Rangers quite regularly with my dad, you know, because I was they're all Glaswegians, and we used to go up to see my my nan and granddad and, and go to the Rangers games at Ibrox and wherever they were playing away games as well. Yeah. Um, I used to go down to Villa with my uncle and my cousins uh, one week, Blues the next. I used to go to Middlesbrough. My granddad's a Middlesbrough fan um, who was, you know, sadly passed away. And wherever they were playing Villa, Blues, Albion, whatever, he used to take me and, and go and watch Middlesbrough standing in the Middlesbrough end. And uh, that's one of my club's mills, but they're very uh, working man's club and very, you know, tough tough following those you know tough lads the Middlesbrough lads um yeah. so, so it was any any team really I remember Liverpool as well back in the day and you know you, as a kid you'll you know I like to know all the kids these days on Sky Sports all they want to do is see the big names it was very similar to me back in the day like when you had Liverpool come into town I used to go and watch when they played Blues Bill Albion just wanted to see football understand just wanted to see it. I got to the age of about I think it was about nine was when I first went down the Blues 1980 against uh, Man United at St Andrews. Uh, it was nil-nil. I think it was nil-nil. And uh, I was standing in the Tilton and I, my parents didn't know I'd gone the game. I'd uh, latched on to all the local skinhead gang from off Castle Vale, the Blues fans. And there weren't many. It was mainly Villa, but there was a few Blues. And I just followed them on the bus to the to the ground, latched onto them. 
and it was terrifying. It was, uh, it was, <laughs> I'll never forget it. It was, I was absolutely petrified. It was just the skinhead era, just called coming out of the skinhead era and not in And it was, uh, it was terrifying. I mean, it, when Man you had before, you know, before it was all seated, they had two sections of Man U didn't add loads of skinheads. Then there was an area on, uh, Separating blues from with uh, meshing up to separate all the bottles and coins going at each other, and then all the blues, all their skin is there. It was Christ, it was uh, it was unbelievable. And I think from that day, um, it was it was blues for me, you know, because it, yeah. I just loved it. It was just different from any other game I'd ever been to, you know. It was growing up in a rough council estate, it, you know, I was, I was used to getting into trouble a lot, and uh. I thought this is just this is just me. This is just yeah. my club. This is yeah. for me. This is and that was it. Then I said to my dad, I said, every time Blues played, we used to go away everywhere and in the eighties. And then I started going away myself to the games when I was about twelve, thirteen in the early eighties. When you know, if you can remember, in the eighties, there was no police protection really when you went to away games. It, yeah. was, it was it was murder. You know, you were lucky to get to the games and get away and get home. Um, you know, when you're a nip and you saw the, all the trouble. It was it was unbelievable back in back in those days, uh, but I loved it. I remember going to West Ham and Millwall, Leeds, Chelsea, and my parents didn't even know I was there. You know, I was just uh, I used to jump in minibuses and things like that. And I used to look who's this little nut. And I used to I used to just love it. And I get to know I got to know everyone. Then you know you get to know people and you know, from your area and all the lads, all the all the loons who go to the games and that. And I just I just felt fell in love with it, you know. Yeah, so so, so when, yeah. when well, <clears throat> obviously spent a lot of time following the following the lads and following you know mm. a, a de- decent sides in the early eighties, some uh, you know proper footballers back in the day that yeah. I, th- I think they were very much a, a reflection. Of, well, I think we were saying it to to Tom and and Tom Garrett who works on the pod and just you know names like you know Noel Blakes and and yeah. sort of Archie Gemmels and your Pat Vandenhaus and yeah. all those that. They'd, they'd last two minutes now in in the current yeah. game. It, it it was a different game altogether. So for you and you you following the game, how yeah. did you get scouted? How did it how did it go about? Because that must have been like yeah. a, dream, a dream come true for you. Yeah, it's playing for three C's, and obviously because we were so good, um, you know, winning everything in a really competitive league. Obviously, scouts come and watch you from Villa Blues, Albion Wolves, Man City, Arsenal. There's loads of clubs watching. And I wanted to play for Blues and had Norman, Norman Bedell and Rick Murray come and see me play, come to watch me a couple of times and approach my parents at the time and just said, like, listen, we'd like him to come training at, uh, down, at, down at Blues and that. And I said, you're absolutely brilliant. You know, I'm, I'm up for that. Villa come in as well. I went to Villa. But I didn't really get on there. I found it so aloof and uh, everyone there just just different different type of people. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't work them out. It was Blues for me. Um, and I signed schoolboy forms when I was 12 um, put away in a drawer because I weren't supposed to be legal till you're 14 with a, with a, with a contract at the end of it with a, with a with an apprenticeship at the end of it so, so it was a really bad thing to do really because I, I, I didn't try at school then for the rest of my songs I knew I had a job and I left school yeah. I, got, I got like expelled from school in the end um, towards the end you know uh, getting into trouble and things like that because I, you know, I knew I had a job, you know, not when you go to the careers officer and he says, what do you want to do when you leave school? <laughs> and most kids, I want to be a rock star, I want to be a football, and the careers officers look at them and go, yeah, right, mate, you know. But all I knew was I had a contract, you know. No, yeah. I have, I've got a contract. They're going, yeah, right, yeah, go on. Get, get out the door. But I had to try to, like, 
give it the big end. But uh, it's a, it's, he ain't ruined my school years, really, because, you know, if I hadn't got that contract, then I would have probably tried harder at school. But And, and just just how was the... Obviously, you were, you were sort of... Lots of lads from the Val that you knew, Blues fans, people you, you travelled to the games with. Yeah. You've gone from, from that, yeah. you know, being involved, being being in the thick of it off the park to absolutely being in the thick of it as a 16-year-old on the park. So how, how what was that like from a, just from your point of view, with all the lads all of a sudden saying, shit, Titus made it. What was that like? You know, ticket requests, all sorts. What was yeah. going on? Yeah, all that. Um, I mean, it's really weird uh, when you... I left school when I was 15 um, and I went to Blues before my 16th birthday on July the 1st. I think they had me in, but I didn't go in for the first six weeks. There was a problem that the manager that's on, uh, I forget who it was, I think it was Keith Bradley, left the club and a guy called Fred Davis coming out. It totally changed for me. I felt everything, my rug had been pulled from under my feet. I didn't have a clue. So I was in dispute with the club for a bit because I wanted to chat what was going on. I couldn't understand it. So for the first about four weeks, I didn't go into the club. Um, I couldn't figure out what, what I was going to do. If it, well, that's what I wanted to do now, and blah, blah, blah. I just couldn't work out. And uh, obviously, you get bullied then, don't you? When, you? when you finally walk through the doors, the apprentices are waiting there to, to give you right grief. You know, they're cleaning the toilets with toothbrushes, and they're, you know, really bullying, really bullying you. You know, I got bullied so bad, and, you know, until one day I just lost the plot a bit, and... and um, they didn't bully me again. Um, well, I won't go into that. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> moving on. But, but, but not, they didn't bully me again, put it that way. Um, anyway, so it was weird because you, you leave school and you're playing with your mates and you're going to, you're going to watch the Blues in the 80s and you're, you're, you're involved in certain things down to football and next thing you know, you're in the youth team playing for Bone City and it's... You, you know, you're cleaning the terraces, you're sweep doing the boots. It's a 50, 60 hour a week you're working for £28.50, slave labour. It was yes. unbelievable. You know, it, it, honestly, it was, it was murder. It was so hard. But, but at the end of it, you just see this carrot at the end of it where you, you know, this is dangling the carrot. This is what you could have. Yes. So everyone did it and you tried your hardest. But I found it really difficult to, to stop mixing with, with, with my mates who I'd gone the games with and, and I was living in Stetchford, and I was at the Glebe, and all around those areas, around there, Lee, all, all my mates live around there. So I was always out with them. So I'm playing for Blues, training with Blues, and doing really well in the youth team and reserves. But, you know, the other, the other side of me was I'd finish the game playing. I'd, I'd be out on the streets with, in, with my mates because I hadn't, wasn't really ready for, you know, yeah. to, to break away. Um, I found it really difficult um, for, for, for many, many years. Uh, to to realise what what I actually had um, at my feet, really, you know, I didn't I didn't appreciate what I had. You know, you're a footballer. This is what you've got to do. But in those days, there, there, there was no support for, for youngsters coming through like we've got today. I mean, you only have to click your fingers and play these days, and you've got about ten unions behind them, and you know, every person wants to help the young players. Whereas we had we had nothing. You know, yeah, we're getting bullied and. And everything, and then we we just bullied the, the next generation coming through because that's what you did. Yeah, you know, we got bullies. Well, hold on a minute, they're not coming through. They're going to get bullied. So that's what we did. You know, it's just it's a very uh very very hard. You know, it weren't weren't easy. Everyone used to think, oh, you're playing football is dead easy. It was them two, the first couple of years. It was, honestly, it was crazy. It was really yeah. really difficult. And then you thrust into a first team, wasn't ready for it, both physically and mentally. You know, you you. Sixteen years of age, and you're you're playing on the streets of Stetchford, 
causing mayhem. And next thing you know, you've got cameras in front of you, you've got microphones, the press, the newspapers, and no one gives you any advice what to say or, you know, you, it's, it's a bit... Yeah, uh, yeah. If you're either ready for it or you're not ready for it, and, and I, I don't think I was ready for it in, in, all, in all aspects, really. So, but after you... Um... Uh, managed to sign probably two years earlier than you should have done for the Blues. Yeah. Um, obviously, it must have made an impression. So yeah. um, you, you get to the end of obviously your, your school sort of school days, and you start, I guess, what you class as a proper sort of uh, up and coming professional. So how was that? What are your memories of when, when you were sort of getting closer to that sort of reserve and first team football for Blues? Uh, well, initially when I. Uh, Broke into the uh, well when I started off at, in the youth team. It was, as I said, we, our manager was Fred Davis. He was absolutely brilliant coach. He used to be the old, you know, used to be the old Wolves goalkeeper. He was absolutely brilliant, and he worked so hard with us. We had the group that we had, as I said, we were all local lads. Yeah. You know, the furthest away was probably Tamworth. You know, we were all like Solihull, Chelmsley, Stetchford, uh, Castle Brom. We we're all local lads, which was brilliant. You know, um, and at, at the time. The club had no money. We we were in dire straits. You know, the first team football. I think the, the whole of football in uh, in the eighties was was going through terrible times. Crowds were down. There wasn't any money in the game. You know, it, it was just awful. Um, and our youth team that we had, myself, like Simon Sturridge, uh, Mark Yates, with players like that, Foxy and Clarkson, who went on to captain the club. Um, we were doing well in the youth team and reserves. So the club had no money to spend. So they were going to have to rely on us and yeah. love us. We weren't ready like me. I, nine months earlier, I was the youngest one. I was a late because my birthday's late July. So I was probably the youngest apprentice at the club. And I was banging the goals because I was a forward back in the day when I first yeah. went all my career until the, you know, the club moved me back into midfield, which we weren't too happy about. Um, so I was banging in the goals in the, uh, in the youth team, scoring hat-tricks in cup finals and semi-finals and, scoring loads of goals and then they said to me Gary Pendry said "Look, we're going to put you in the first team I was thinking oh, first team I was thinking dear oh dear so nine months earlier I'm playing on the streets of Stetchford like you know causing mayhem getting chased by the police and everything next thing you know I'm uh, going to be playing in the first team and I was thinking oh no I only weighed about nine and a half stone I'm thinking oh no I can't do this my parents had split up my head was gone I was in the right bad place um, I, you know, I, I love playing football, but I wasn't ready for, for first team football. But what do you say? I'm not yeah. ready. You know, you've just got to do it. You, you, believe it or not, when you when you sign for a professional football club, um, people laugh when you say it's a job. Oh, you don't know what it's like working. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. You don't know what it's like. I work in a factory from seven till seven. That's a job. When you play football, it's still your job. You're still getting paid. Yeah. I used to work six, 60 hours a week as an apprentice for 28.50. It was unbelievable slave labour, cleaning toilets all day and sweeping the terraces. It was murder. It was absolute murder. But it, but it was a good grounding. When you look back now, I'm thinking, you know what? That made, that made me as a, what, what I was as a young player. Yeah. So I was far too young uh, at that time. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready physically and mentally to, to go into the first team football. And I made my debut at 16 against, uh, against Leeds. Yeah, the season on a Friday night, I think it was, and uh, I got man of the match. I was only on for twenty eight minutes. Got man of the match. That's how bad we were. <laughs> <laughs> I hit the post with a shot. I had a one on one with Mervyn Day, the keeper. Missed that, but I got man of the match, and and 
you know, I thought then then I'd, then I signed pro, I signed a contract for I was on twenty eight quid a week. I signed my first contract for eighty quid a week. So it wasn't about money to me. It was I didn't even think about it. I was a kid like oh, I can't believe I'm a footballer nine months earlier. Like I'm getting nicked and everything, and I'm causing mayhem, getting expelled from school and blah blah blah. The next thing you know, I'm playing in front of all my mates on the terraces, looks throwing things at me and swearing at me. I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, what's going on? I couldn't believe it. I just could not accept <laughs> I was a footballer. I always wanted to be a footballer, but, you know, at St Andrews, then we had crowds of six, 7,000. You could, on the on new, about 4,000 of them. You know, all my, all my mates, I'm thinking, looking, looking on the uh, terraces and the on the cop. And I'm thinking, uh, what are you doing? Throwing all that, that down, I've got to sweep that up on Monday. You know <laughs> I remember why, I remember if you know why in the source force and all them, they used to stand in the cop in the centre and they were absolutely mental, making up songs about bacon and ham and cheese and everything. And we could hear them. And I, the mess that they made and the fans made, I was thinking, oh no, it was a really windy day. And I was thinking, oh, please don't throw that. I've got to pick that up Monday morning. It takes me three days to pick to clear the, the terraces. It's really strange times. It was, it was mad. It was, but you know what? It was brilliant. I don't think the kids coming through these days, I don't think they appreciate it as much as what we did. Yeah. The bullying was unbelievable from the older lads, you know, from the pros, and that used to batter us. And, you know, then we used to, when we were pros, then we used to hand it down, we used to batter the apprentice coming through, you know, it was just like that. Now you can't say boo to them because, you know, they'll get the authorities on you and the PFA, and they're so protected now that the kids coming through, you know, the APs, the apprentices. I'm not saying it's right, but it gave, gave us good grounding, made us realise what, what on earth we were going into because yeah. people didn't realise. Yeah, I know, and I think a lot of people, <clears throat> I guess, that watch the game and, and certainly Blues fans of, of an age that, you know, that, that seems to completely have gone and it's yeah. very easy and people do sort of, you know, if, if a team plays poorly, it's they don't care and they're not trying and are not interested. Yeah. But, you know, over, over a period of time, I think that that is... That is true. Maybe if you've had it a bit easy, but yeah. and I think thinking about where where Blues are at at the moment, then you know when you'd literally just signed for for the club, we, yeah. we got relegated for the first time into the third tier. So, yeah. what was that like? I mean, was it a noticeable difference? What was the feeling like in the club? Because you know we were we were in dire straits, as you as you said earlier. Yeah, it was it's was difficult, you know, because um, the fans obviously were fuming. There's no money about at the club. Um, it's, it's very difficult times. I, mean, I remember, I, do you remember the old, uh, before the ground was done and we had the, the old railway and then there was a supporters club, wasn't there, underneath, yeah. the, underneath the railway? Yeah. And, well, from our dressing room, the old dressing rooms, um, we opened the window and you could see the supporters club across the railway. What do you mean? It's like, and I remember, I remember being a young lad and you remember they had the communal baths at St Andrews and all, all the clubs had communal baths and I'm thinking, and I was quite a clean lad, I'm thinking, oh my God, I've got to get in that bath there with all them airy arsed pros and all scum all around the bath. I'm looking, I'm thinking, oh God, I've got to get in there and I don't want, I want to get in the shower. You've got to get in there. They're saying, oh God, like that. So you get in this big communal bath <laughs> and the next thing you know, we had a big window and we got beat once again. We're all sitting there, and all the pros are like washing themselves. I'm just sitting petrified. I'm thinking, what's going to happen to me in this bath? And uh, next thing you know, all the windows have come in in the bath. Supporters <laughs> <laughs> from a, from the, the, the supporters club had just came the windows and all the bricks were flying in and everything <laughs> everywhere in the bath. And I was going, and I loved all that. Like, I couldn't. I didn't really mind. You know what I mean? But all the pros like, were all diving out and all covered in glass, and oh, it was nuts. 
And all I, I was laughing. I was like thinking, oh, this is mad. Because I've, I've grown up, I've grown up with all this lunacy. And it, it didn't really bother me, but that was sort of my introduction really to, to what it was like playing for blues. If you lose, they don't mind you losing, but you've got to, you've got to give some effort. You know, you've, you've got to show that you care because yeah. I was a local lad. And I used to travel all over the country in the 80s, getting battered everywhere. And my day is at West Ham, Millwall, Leeds, and all places like that in minibuses. And, you know, it was very, very dangerous. And I realised what it was like to play for the club. Whereas I think when you when you have a lot of pros coming and signing for the club back in those days, who'd been round the block, you know, yeah. seeing their careers, they didn't understand what it was like to play, <laughs> to play for the club. But when all the windows started coming in, then I, I knew... I knew what the fans were like and, you know, I was, I was on their side really because it wasn't acceptable what was happening yeah. to our club. You know, yeah. it wasn't, but it were tough times, you know, very, very, very tough times. And I think there was a period, like probably when you were watching the Blues and, you know, sort of Jim Smith, Ron Saunders sort of time, we, we, we yeah. still managed to sign good players like, you know, Frank yeah. Worthington, Archie Gamble, all those, all yeah. those like old pros, but absolute quality. Yeah. And then I think because we went into the sort of the, Gary Pendry and then sort of Dave McKay, it, it, it was noticeable, the drop-off. And yeah. that was, you know, yeah. because of, you know, we had no money. And yeah, then obviously no we, we got the the Kumar brothers coming into town, which was interesting. So yeah. Yeah. When, when you sort of got, you know, past that sort of into the, into the third tier, how did your career progress then for those sort of few seasons when we were yeah. kicking about there? Well, I, I can't remember who was the manager when I got the uh, my, my bad injury. I think it was... Terry Cooper. No, Terry Cooper come come after. It was Dave McKay. Yeah. I was I was flying, and there was a lot of clubs interested in me at the time. Uh, there was Liverpool, Tottenham, Wolves, Norwich. When Norwich were in the Prem and they were going in the UEFA Cup, you know, got people buying in the quarters or semis or something. Yeah. There was a lot of clubs interested in me, and I think it was that me and Jamie Redknapp because Jamie Redknapp was at Bournemouth at the time, and who was going to go to Liverpool, me or him? And obviously yeah. Liverpool chose Jamie. And I uh, was going to Spurs, yeah. right? The deal had been done. It was a, I think it was a half a million. Back in them days, it was a lot of money. And my wages were just ridiculous, what they were going to give me. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. And I wanted to stay at Blues, but everyone was, the club need money. You're going to have to go. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, okay, um, I'm going to have to go. So I played Orient on the Saturday and I got injured in the first, was it about 13 seconds in the, in the game at Brisbane Road? Um so, so terrible, terrible injury. I mean, the, the guy who tackled me, John Sitton, he went on to marry, manage them, and it was an absolutely outrageous tackle. But fair play to him, because in them days, that's what you had to do. You know what I mean? I'd done it to him. Yeah. I was too late. He'd done it to me, and he'd done me, um, good and proper. Uh, and I, I broke my leg, like shattered all the bone in my knee, ruptured my posterior cruise. It was a horrific injury, and I was out of the game for over a year, and it ruined my transfer to Tottenham. Too specially said I'd never play again. And when you're being told that age, 18, 19, that you're never going to play again and you had the whole world at your feet, really, it was it was unbelievable. You know, I'm thinking, well, I remember the surgeon down in Cambridge saying to, me, to my mum and dad, uh, can you do anything else? What do you mean? Show just the MRI scans. He said, listen, there's that much damage in there. You'd be lucky to walk properly again. And like, obviously your, your world falls apart. And I thought, well, you know what? What can I do? I can work on the ruse with my dad or, or get nicked. Yeah. Do you know, where, where, where I grew up, I was, everyone was involved in crime and um, the two paths to follow, really, or, or stick at football. So um, the club packed me off 
uh, I think uh, Doug McCoy got sacked, I think, and then Lou Macari come in as manager. And um, he didn't really speak, he didn't speak to me, just they packed me off to Lillyshaw um, for three months. And in those three months, the club didn't speak to me, bizarrely. And in those three months, when I come back, I think he left, went to Stoke. Remember, he was only here for a bit, wasn't he? Yeah. He, 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 yeah, he, he, we got we we got well. We won the uh, cup final, yeah. And he and he did want to be in, in the June because yeah. he complained that we got no cash and the owners yeah. were, were meant to. Very odd little man. Um, I, I really don't like him. If I'm honest with you, um, he said to me he called me into the off into the into the treatment room when when he first took over and I was with my dad and I was on crutches and I was honestly in agony, and he didn't say anything to me. All he said was, uh, "You got injured because you drink drink too much." I said, what? I said, what do you mean? And he said, you drink. I, said, I was the fittest at the club. No one could keep up with me running-wise and training and everything. Yeah, I like to drink, but there's no one could, on that Monday morning, I'd, I'd be, no one would outrun me. No way. And I, th- I thought I was playing the best football in my career. Like, a young career, I was all the clubs after me, you know, England and Drake Beans, which the club wouldn't let me play in. I was not being selected for that. And I thought, where's, where's he getting all this information from? Like, you know, some of it was true, but a lot of it was false. And I'm out to stop my dad whacking him. My dad's a Rangers fan, and Lou Macari being a Celtic man didn't, didn't go down too well. And I said, I saw my dad steaming him in the treatment room. And um, so we think so the club packed me off to the shore, come back, he'd gone. And then Terry Cooper took over, and Terry's really, Terry and his, his wife Rose, they saved my life, you know, because yeah. I, I was mentally gone. I was in a right bad way. And then my first game back, it was against Bristol City at, at West Hills. And they said, this is the game that's decides your future, your knee, because I hadn't played any games. If it holds up, we don't know if the surgeon said, we don't know if it's going to hold up. You've got to make some tackles. If it goes, your career's finished. Um, if, it, if you survive, your career goes. And you can imagine the pressure. Wow. Absolutely. That's, that's a lot of pressure. That's immense. So, playing, I scored. Believe it or not, I scored. We got beat 2-1. And I remember going in for the 50-50. I'm thinking, oh, my God, because you don't know if your legs are going to disintegrate. Like before. <laughs> yeah. I'm going so I went for this tackle and I went, oh, well, I'm right, I'm just going to go and launch because I wasn't a very good tackle. I just, I used to like, I was yeah. a bit naughty really. I was just, having got injured, I thought this ain't going to happen to me again. So I like, you know, I just thought, just protect yourself from now on, you know, and just if the ball's there, go for the ball, but go for the man as well. Yeah. I went in for a crunching tackle and it stood up and I was thinking, oh my God, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm okay. And I went in for another one. I could hear everyone on the side going, oh, like that, you know, is, is he all right? Is he okay? You know, so um, from that day then, I, I just got fit and my confidence started coming back. And a lot Terry Cooper like, took me under his wing with his wife. He, they, he knew my background. It was a very troubled background. And he said, look, we're, we're going to give you a contract. Um, I love you and all that. And we're going to, on the proviso that you move from Stetchford, because I was getting in trouble all the time. You're going yeah. to move to the other side of Solihull, to Dorich. I ain't got a clue where it was. And um, his son, Mark Cooper and Paul Marden had just bought houses in Hillfield in Solihull. And they took yeah. me over the area and went, oh, my God. See, I can't live around here. Like, I'm settling around here. And they, the, the club made me buy a house in Dorich, you know, and um, I've been there four days and I got nicked. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't work out. They took me away from Stetchford because I was getting I was getting in trouble because, as I say, I couldn't understand I was a footballer. I was, you know, getting in people who I used to mix with, or I still do, really, but, you know... Um, I was just getting in trouble all the time, you know. I, I couldn't help it. I couldn't. I couldn't different. I couldn't stop. I couldn't give up my mates. Understand? I was a footballer playing for the team I wanted to play for and I loved, but I couldn't give up my mates as well. All blues lads and that. So it was, you know, I was in the middle all the time, foot over there playing football. But 
after the game, so I was, you know, getting involved in things and that. And uh, says Terry just said, listen, Paul, you, you've thrown your career away. I'm moving you. And I, I moved and I was the same four days I got arrested and, I, you know, I got, I did, oh, I got jail time, but um, the suspend, I got a suspended sentence, fortunately, because Terry, if it wasn't for Terry in court, pleading with, pleading with them really to, you know, stop me getting sent down. Um, I, uh, I, I would have, you know, my career would have been over. So I really thank Terry for that. And, you know, when that when that happened, when I when I didn't actually go to jail in the end, you know, I just got a suspended sentence for for a bit. Uh, I try I try to change a little bit, you know, but uh, I, I really struggled. If I'm honest with you, I really struggled all through my career. Um, yeah, yeah, um, really uh, mentally. Thinking back to those times, Paul, because I, I, yeah, me and my mates were, were sort of on the cop more often than not. Yeah, and most weeks there'd be. Some some story and you just you didn't know mm. whether it was yeah whether yeah. it was true or not and, and things yeah. that have gone off in town and yeah you know, down in Digbeth and, and yeah. it was sort of but obviously that's you know you that's when when I said at the beginning very much a, a cult hero of the blues and it's yeah I think that you look at you know someone again like Rob Hopkins who was yeah you know, cut from the same clubs I don't think are like that and I don't think a lot of the fans sort of get yeah. it but. I think as blues fans we do, and like you said earlier, as long as people put a shift in and they they do care, and yeah. you know if they launch into the odd challenge, then then so be it. And uh, but unfortunately, we don't yeah. we don't tend to see that these days. But talking about Terry Cooper when he came in, I mean, yeah. I think back in the day it was a bit of a again bit of an underwhelming appointment. I think if I'm being yeah. honest from a from a fan's point of view, yeah. In fairness to him, he did the job straight away. Yeah. He was the way he wanted the game to be played. He wanted everything on the floor, quick passing. He tried. He did try and have a go. You know, he, he tried in difficult circumstances. Yeah, um, yeah. He got he got the, the players to to be the camaraderie was good between the players. He, he was a brilliant man manager because I, all the managers I think back in in all the clubs when I played at, you know, how how did players how did the manager get the best out of me because I was. You know, there's no denying it. I, I admit it. I was, I, I was living the life of not, of a, I shouldn't live it. You know, I wasn't a footballer. I wasn't, I was off me not. You know, I was doing ridiculous things. But Terry, Terry got through to me as this Baz by getting onto my level where I'd come from because I'd had a bit of a barmy upbringing. And I, all I was looking for was um, a belonging. Do you understand? Yeah. Some people yeah. around me and listen. Yeah, all, yeah. You know, that's what I wanted, and he did that. And I think I did okay for him, and I did with Baz as well. Um, some players need to kick up the backside. I need an arm around me and a kick up the backside. But yeah. to me, it weren't about money. You know, look back now, and I used to see players driving in BMWs and Mercedes, and I was thinking, yeah, they, I'm better than him. I'm sure I'm better than him. How can they be affording all that? And it weren't about money to me. I was driving around in a Rover 214 SI, right? White one. I've got to get the SI in there with a hole in the roof where some bird attacked me with a hammer and put a bird, some bad bird attacked me with a hammer and put a big hole in the roof. I just used to drive it. I never had any second gear or anything. I don't know. I think I got a Dodge, M, uh, Dodge MOTs. I pass. It, it didn't, it, money wasn't about it to me. I just wanted to play for blues. I wanted to be with the fans, which I did. Yeah. You know, I was with the fans always. And it wasn't about dough. 
And then when you're going on later in your career, you think, what am I going to do when I finish? I ain't got no money. You know what I mean? When everyone else had been screwing dough all the time from the club. I remember one player got 50 grand to leave. I won't mention his name. And also he told me, he said, I've been, I'm going, I'm thinking me 50 grand to leave. I said, 50 grand? I was like, oh my God. I was like, I was like, I'm next on 80 quid a week. So I was thinking, well, what's going on? I was like, Where's all this money coming from? I think I think the club had me at it really because they knew that I loved the club and I just wanted to play. Yeah. That I literally would sign anything. Yeah. If they thought yeah. like whatever, two hundred quid a week in front of me, oh, yeah, that's sound. Yeah, thanks very much. And it was like that. I didn't I didn't even think about the the money aspect of it, you know. When 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 um obviously Terry Cooper got sacked and I mean, for me, uh, even the, the 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 I guess the what you call the successful times in the prem, <clears throat> the highlight for me was Barry Fry. Yeah, to me, it was just absolute. If I could, if I could describe blues as an era, yeah. that's it, because it was absolute chaos, wasn't it? It was, it, it was, it was, it was brilliant. You know, it, I can understand. Right? I have fans, you know, on the, on the forums, they think slagging him off and slagging Brady and Gold off. And do you know what? We were more in the news than Man United back in them days. Yeah, we were all on a par. It was mad. It, they come through the doors, little fat geezer, Baz, Dave Owls, black geezer, Ed Steen, like his henchman, like that. It was like straight from Only Fools and Horses. It was just nuts, absolutely crackers. And like, all these players started coming in, like wrongans, like nuts. But to me, it was, I loved it, you see, because I think it was just like, a, it was like Heidi High, you know, like <laughs> mad. I, I can't describe the atmosphere between, the fans, the camaraderie, the rapport between the fans and the players. Yeah. You know, it was, it was it was unbelievable. And it hasn't been replicated to this day, you know, because Blues are, the players need to know how much it means to the fans. If you if you do all right for them, they're the best fans to play for. If you do wrong, you don't want to get on the wrong side of them. No. I always, I always say, the lads always, always come to me, say, hey, where can I go, where can I go, who shall I meet? I said, listen, if you... If, you know, I'll introduce you to a few people and all that. You'd be all right. No one will touch you and all that, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, it, but, but the buzz was just incredible. You so know. What, what, what are your memories of that season? Because for me, I think that, that one season where obviously we won the league and obviously we'll, we'll talk yeah. about the game, the, the goal and the, and the T-shirt in a minute. Yeah. But what, what do you remember about the promotion season? Oh, the promotion season, was there was, there was a lot of pressure. To get back up, yeah. You know, we went down on the last day of the season at Tranmere. The fans invaded the pitch, and everyone. The, I think the players at the club realised then that this is a normal bunch of supporters you're playing for. You just got relegated. They've invaded the pitch, and you're getting carried off by the shoulders. It's mental. And uh, all the lads then, all the London-based crew, or you know, they used to come up in their cars and say, "He said the proper here, no, the, the proper." I said, "Yeah." I said, "Just don't mess them around." I said, "Like you know, I said, do not mess them around." And uh, we got. Off, it, it was. We knew that. We knew we had to go up that season. You know, we knew we had to dig in because it's an odd. You know, with a big club coming down to that league, we knew we were there to be shot at, and we were just going to have to dig in. And we and, and we did. You know, it was really really difficult season. Um, you know, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of changes with players, like with, with Baz bringing in players, and you know, it, you know, I think we had forty nine players or something. Yeah, Baz was off his rocker. You know, like. I can't describe what it was like. He, the one thing I will say about him is my management skills. It's no tactics at all. No tactics. I can't remember any tactics in any... I remember him doing a, 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 his team talk 
That's how mad he was. We're sitting there, and he'd, he'd, he'd go into the toilet, and we're all sitting there, been out for a warm-up, and he'd come back. We'd come back, we're all sitting there doing our socks and we're giving a quick drink, blah, blah, come on, lads, let's come on, come on. It, and then the door would open, and he'd be standing there with no clothes on, wearing a pair of loafers, like shoes on his feet, brushing his teeth, start bollock naked, right? <laughs> right, lads, you're all shit, he'd say. That's what he'd say, you're all shit, and you know you're shit. Go out there and get yourself a move. He said, you're playing these. He said, you'll do these today. Run more in them. He said, get into them. He used to get us frothing at the mouth before we went out. A lot of the times, we'd want to kill him. He used to absolutely destroy us. Like, like wanted to like, bash him. Mad. I didn't understand what he was doing, but a lot of the lads who played for him at Southend and Barney and all that, they were going, it's all right. He said, he's off his nut. He'll do this and blah, blah, blah. But I could never forget it. Just standing there with no clothes on. Big belly. Suntanned. Like that. And I was like, this is not, this is mental. He also looks crackers, absolutely crackers. But you could, you, he, but it, what, it, what he would do as well was, if he wasn't in his squad, right, and he wanted you to go, he wouldn't just ostracise you from the from the, for the group. He'd yeah. keep you involved. So if you went to an away game, he'd take you. Come, yeah. you can get away. We're going to try and get you a move. You're not in my plans. I'm going to try and get you a move. Yeah. Right? A lot of managers like TF and that, totally the, totally the opposite. Right, you so aloof, it's unbelievable. Um, Baz would do his best and try and get you, you know, get you out there, get you a yeah. move and keep you all together. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was just a, a brilliant time. That that season. It was <laughs> it was just mad. I can't describe it. We're like a professional football club. It was just absolutely crackers. You know, and a lot of the young kids are, you know, go down the blues these days. The, the, you know, they've probably seen us in the Prem and that and blah, blah, blah. But for me, as a fan, those times, the goals going in, the, you know, Baz would never one nil win. He, yeah, he looked, yeah. you know, I mean, if you can see him now at Peterborough, he's got a lot of, you know, beyond the scenes there. And if you look at their results, they're oh, yeah. goals. He just loves attacking hungry players. I remember when when we signed Jose Dominguez, well, when he come on trial, remember little Jose? Unbelievable. What a Unbelievable. player. Unbelievable. Well, you know what? His, his trial for Blues, it's how mad it was. We all got in our cars. He said, right, we're going to Simon Digby School on Smithswood. I said, no way. Still mental. I said, I'm from over that, man. I said, I ain't going over there. He said, uh, so no, we're going over Smithswood, Simon Digby School for a, for a, for a game. Four? He said, uh, for training, we got nowhere to train, so we're going over to his school. And I thought, oh, my God. So we went over there, two teams of 11, and this little midget turns up. <sighs> Little geezer, foreign geezer, and uh, who's that? Uh, no one knew who he was, and uh, he was playing left wing up against Roger Willis. Remember Roger Willis, yeah, Harry yeah, Willis? Yeah. And we had this guy. No one cared. And we thought, oh god, come on, let's have a game. Come on, blah blah blah. Let's get it going. Honestly, he got the ball, Jose. Unbelievable. No, he, he was banging in gold. No one could get near him. He yeah. was unbelievable. Right? You couldn't kick him. You try to kick him. He's like a little little ferret. Unbelievable. And then, but this is what Baz did with Barry Silkman, his agents used to bring in players all the time. Um, you'd never see him, you'd never see him again, 90% of them. Right. And do keep, it was mad. Some, some of them, it, it was like, you don't, I never remember, do you remember um, Kevin Moran? He, he, big, Kevin massive, I think he played once, got him from, I think it was a Chinese league or something. Oh, you mean Richie Moran? Richie Moran, sorry, Richie, Richie Moran. No, Richie Moran was before Baz, Richie Moran, was just before Baz, I'm sure he was. 
He might have been. He might yeah, have been. he was because he was a pal of mine, Richard. He was a drinking partner. Dreadlocks, Whoopi Goldberg, Dave McCoy. Come on to Dave McCoy. Okay. Yeah, Dave McCoy. Remember, he came to Dave McCoy because he was playing. He come from Japan. Yeah, Japan. but but I think with with Baz and and, and the players that he sort of yeah. brought through and the whole atmosphere. So when we, when we got to just moving on, obviously we, we got we got the promotion and we won the league. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously getting to the to the cup final. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, what do you remember about the day? And, yeah. and, and how many tickets do you have to give out? <laughs> yeah. Well, I I'd been ill all week leading up to the final. And I wasn't going to be involved in it. And um, we played a, a reserve game on the Thursday at St Andrews against Bradford or Brighton or someone like that. And me and Ricky played it. Ricky had a little knock. And we're seeing if we were going to be okay to play in the final or in the squad, blah, blah, blah. So we come through it. We beat them 2-0 or something. And we both come through the game. And me and Ricky drove down to Waltham Abbey Hotel, Swallow Hotel after, after the game. Um, Ricky's building a spliff on the way, driving down the motorway, 100 mile an hour in his BM. And I'm sitting looking at him going, what are you doing? So he was nuts, absolutely mad. I think, what are you doing? And we got down to Waltham Abbey and stayed down there for a couple of days. But the problem we had was with the final, we knew we were going to take all 50 odd thousand fans. It was yeah, mad. Yeah. But on the Wednesday, we had Brentford at home in the top of the table clash to get us, you know, whoever was going up there was going to be enough going to get promoted. Yeah. So although we wanted to win the final and it was a massive day for everyone because you're playing at Wembley and blah, blah, blah. We had 54,000 fans there. A lot of us were thinking, right, we've got a monster game on, on Wednesday against Brentford. Whoever wins that really is going to get promoted. So we had the, in those four days, the Sunday to Wednesday, it was, the pressure was unbelievable. But the day of the final, the night before the final, I was sharing with Steve Robinson and I, I said, I, I had a dream. So I normally dream about like, really dangerous things. Or, <laughs> I dare to, I dare to think. <laughs> You don't want to know. It's all. It's not nice when I dream. It's all about mad things, about when I, oh, I don't want to talk about it. But, <laughs> back in the now. but the, the night before, I had a good dream. I said to Robbo, Robbo, I had this dream. He went, really? Yeah. I said, yeah, so I'm going to score. So I'm going to score. I went, yeah, take it. Of course you are, mate. Oh, no problem. Like that. I said, no, Robbo, you don't understand. I had this dream. And he went, take it. Yeah, yeah. And just left me. And I thought, no one ever used to listen to me anyway. Off, off me rocker and that. So uh, got to, we're on the drive to the ground and everyone's, you saw the flags and the fans and, you know, mental. And you go out to warm up and uh, that's when the T-shirt incident happened. Everyone says, oh, you must have premeditated. And, but it wasn't. It was the maddest thing ever. Because, you know, in them days, we didn't have a lot of the players today, they wear all this stuff under them and, like, you know, yeah. that protected. But in them days, you have to wear like, any T-shirt going. It's under your top. Stop yourself getting nipple rash and all things like that. So, once again, I was left. Where's, where's my top? I got one. I don't know. So, I put looking through everything. We said, found this T-shirt. It was about that big. It's tiny. I went, what's this? I said to the kit man. He went, I don't know, Paul. I said, what is it? It says Birmingham City, blah, blah, blah. I went, oh, man. So I'm going to wear that. So I said, I'm going to wear that. I said, it's the only one. I said, oh, bang on, that is. I'm having it. And uh, the rest is history. It's mad. I, I didn't plan it. It was just nuts how it happened. No one knew where it come from. The kit man who packed the, the, uh, the kit didn't know where it come from. It was old. It, I don't know. I don't know. It was just... And it, it, it didn't fit anyone. The only person it would have fit would be me, because so skinny. And uh, it was brilliant. I just put it on. And obviously, the rest is history. I mean, you can't write, can you? Like, you score the winner. And then 
you see all, you know, you know you've won the game, which is unbelievable. Then what do you do? It's like you hyperventilate. It's like you, uh, and then you just off, off you go. And then, then you, then you realise after about three or four minutes, you're in trouble. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and you've got all the photographers there, and you're standing there like that, and then you go, oh no, and then you realise, oh no, then you just realise you're going to be in bad trouble. You know? Yeah. So you look at the photos. Uh, when we're all there with the shield and everything, I'm the only one not not smiling because I, I Baz had told me, he said, what have you done now? He said, oh, you're in trouble, Tate, with this. He said, you're, he said, you're in bad trouble. And, uh, and I, so like I was, and I come out of the dressing room and all the press are there and they're, they're absolutely caning me, really bad. Um, you know, the guy from the Daily Mirror especially was honestly non-stop on me and then the security had to get him away from me because I was nuts. And then... Sullivan and Gold and that said they want to see me straight away and I was like oh god I thought they were just going to sack me then if I'm honest with you because uh, I was always in trouble and um, yeah. I think I'd overstepped the mark then but but they were brilliant with me you know they were, <laughs> they were really good oh, there we are <laughs> they were really good that's alright then I suppose um Obviously, every every football fan when they're young, you know, you grow up dreaming of scoring a Wembley winner. Like, yeah. what what was that feeling like? The moment you scored it, what was the atmosphere like around you? How did that feel? It's it's I can't describe it. When when the ball came across in your head, when I headed it, I just knew it was in straight away. I thought the pace, I just knew it was in. So when the ball actually hits the net, it's like the whole of the ground. It's definitely quiet. It's like a <gasps> like that, and when the boys yeah. and then all of a sudden, it's like a unbelievable like roar, as you can imagine. It's like mad. You know, really, I should have just lay on the floor and just, <laughs> just <laughs> let one jump on me. Then I would have like had all this trouble over all these years. But I just lost it. I just run over, and I knew where I wouldn't be on the goals, and I run down the side, knew where all my mates were behind the dugout because I'd sorted out loads of tickets and all the loons, and uh. I can't describe it. It was just, it was just incredible. Would you change it? What the day and what I did? Well, no, that just that incident. Would you change that? No. I've got a lot, a lot of trouble over the years from Villa fans wanting to bash me and all that, and you know, attack me and and all that. Even twenty, what is it, 25, 26 years on this April, and I mean, they're still caning the life out of me, and um. I wouldn't change it because it was a, it was one of those things that that made everyone happy for that day, you know. Yeah. And it, 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 when you got fifty five thousand fans there, and and then you score the winner, and then you do something like that. I think Blues fans can relate to. It. I know I got slaughtered, and you know, idiot, and all this, and the newspaper cuttings were really bad, and you know, the villa side of the city want want to kill me, and I do I do it tomorrow. <laughs> and, 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 you know, as you said, yeah. you know that that if you're, I think, age between probably forty and and probably fifty, mm. just the whole build up to that and all the shit we'd been through. Yeah, we were, we were done. You know, you got the Kumars of the changing yeah. the badge color. I mean, everything we went through that yeah. was absolutely doing our caking, and yeah. and then it's like this then happened. You got a lunatic manager. You, yeah. You've got you know golden goal. Ne- it'll never happen again. Yeah, with a you know, absolute blues straight down the middle. Everybody yeah. knew it, you know, from you know on the terraces, it, and it was it couldn't have got any better than that. 
yeah. then obviously after that, mm. I think it was sort of, I think it got, well, it had to get probably a bit, a bit more serious. Obviously we yeah. then got back into yeah. now the championship and, you know, I think we're probably coming to, I think you probably had two or three more, more seasons at Blues. So what do you remember towards the, I guess the latter time, obviously when, when well, Bass had got the can and, and, and Trev came in? Yeah, well, Bass got the, got the push. It, it wasn't given any more money to, I think he tried to sell Marcus Stewart from Bristol Rovers for 800 grand or a million. And he would have, he, he wanted to sign players to take us to the next level. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, but I think uh, uh, Gold, Sullivan, Brady, I think that it in their heads what exactly what they were going to do. The yeah. Bass to get us out of that league and then bring in, make us a bit more professional, i.e. Yeah. You know, bring more investment into the club, sponsors, sponsorships and that. And I think by bringing TF back, you know, he was a legend at the Blues. Um, I think that, that, that they were hoping that he was, you know, with the players that he signed as well. I mean, look at the players that we used to have down there, Barry Wong, Gary Ablett, Steve Bruce, Furlong, you know, a lot of players there have got a massive experience, you know, and everyone, everyone around the country knew them, you know. It was... Um, was, he did take us to the next level uh, professionally. Well, professionalism within the club went from there with Baz up to there with, with Trev. Yeah. Then it was a, the transition was unbelievable. You know, I couldn't. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> You've gone from like forty nine players all off their heads to like every like Trevor turning up in a suit with a briefcase and oh, I'm going. What's going on? <laughs> you know, didn't end up in a loom bin. Um, and I found it really difficult. I mean, I think his first season at the club with Trev. Because I loved him because he played for Rangers as well. Because I used to watch him at Rangers. Yeah, you know, season ticket at Rangers. I've still got a season ticket at Rangers. Um, I used to watch him. I, I couldn't wait to meet him and speak to him about Rangers and Blues and all that. But I couldn't couldn't really do it with him. You know, it's very odd yeah. and um, very aloof. Um, and then I played about thirty games in his first season. And then and then I, I got I got uh, I got married um, in the, in the close season. Yeah, it was a brilliant run. I could run all day, and I, I went on a. I didn't have a stag, do you see? I went on a, a four week bender around Chelmsley Wood and Kingshurst with all the loons. What is that called? It's an alternative stag. To it, it, it can, you can imagine it was very, very bad. And I put, <laughs> I put on weight, right? I put, I've never put on weight. So when I turned up for pre season training, Ian Bowie, the reserve manager, went, "What the f you've done to your belly?" And I went, <laughs> "I said well, I've never put on weight ever." Not a pound. Anyone ever watched me? Never put on a white, any white ever. And they started calling me Fred Elliot. Remember Fred Elliot from Coronation Street? Yeah. I'll say, I'll say like that because he was big, chubby, and fat. And um, Trevor was mortified. Got the fitness coach to find out what was going on. And I, I just had such a mad time the close season, getting married and everything. That I just lost the plot a bit. And um, next thing you know, Trevor just blanked me from the uh, from the first team squad. He didn't tell me. He, he didn't say, oh, right, this is what you've done, right? This is where you've got to get to, blah, blah, blah. Emma McMills oh, just turned from like a 360, hated me, and they wouldn't speak to me. You know, like, say, say for in a, a team meeting and there'd be like 25 players in there. He'd walk in, Trev would, uh, and say, right, get a pad out and read out a list of names to leave the room. Me, Barry Orn, Andy Legg, Jason Bowen, and we said, what, where are we going? You've got to go and train with the uh, the youth team. Okay. What's all this about? But that would be it. He wouldn't come and speak like as a man to man or Baswood and say, listen, blah, blah, you, you know, you're doing yeah. this, you know, bang out of order. He'd send like the uh, fitness coach, who's a really nice guy, you know, terrified he was. And we said, what's going on? You know, can you just, can we have a chat or blah, blah, blah? And it didn't happen. And I realised then, 
that I was that it was coming to an end for me. You know, I've got my act together. I was playing really well in the reserves. I couldn't get any fitter. I was, you know, I was, when I was playing against Liverpool reserves, man, usually I was running the show. And the, when we were playing against Danny Murphy at Liverpool, and he said, "What are you doing in your team title?" Uh, I said, "I said it's just ain't happening, mate. It's ain't happening for me." And uh, with Trev, and um, it was so sad because I was in my testimonial year, um, and it, it just broke my heart. You know, they tried to offload me uh, to Wolves. Actually, I played Wolves at the training ground. We beat them 3-1. I it was brilliant. And he said, uh, Colin Lee wants you to go to Wolves on loan. I says, I'm going. So my blues, I said, I don't like Wolves. And he went, you what? I said, I don't like Wolves. I never liked them. So they hate me, Wolves do. And uh, I said, they'll, they'll kill me if I get there. He went, no, you're going to Wolves. I said, I'm not going to Wolves. I'm staying at Blues. <laughs> I said, I love Blues. Like, actually, to me, money didn't mean anything. I just wanted to play for Blues. I thought, I'm going to stay and I'm going to fight for my place. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to get back in. And um, he's, and then he then he come to me and said, uh, uh, "There's a few more clubs interested in you." I said, "I'm not going." No, I said, "I don't care." I said, "I want to play for Blues." And I was I was that stupid. I needed to go and and and, and you know progress my career, but I couldn't. The, the thought of leaving just broke me heart. Honestly, it broke me heart. And uh, and then he said, uh, "Craig Brown, the Scotland manager, has been on. He wants to see your dad's birth certificate. Uh, they want you to play for Scotland." Wow. And I went, really? I said, bro, it's Scottish. And he went, you, what do you mean? I said, your dad's Glaswegian. I went, yeah. I said, bro, I'm born in some coal film, Castle Bow, lad. I said, I'm like, Scott, I'm English. And he went, he went, you're turning down an international career. I said, I said, well, yeah. I said, uh, I, I ain't Scottish. I said, I'm an Englishman. I said, I ain't good enough for England. I said, I'm going to play for Scotland and sing Fire of Scotland and make me dad happy. I said, no, I ain't doing it. <laughs> scratching his head. Going, oh, obviously, call me an idiot and everything, which I probably was. But I said, I'm not doing it. I said, no, I'm going to play for Scotland. I said, uh, I said I'm not interested. Um, and he was, I think that was the final nail in the coffin for me. He just, he just couldn't work out where I was coming from. And I said, listen, I said, I said, I'd rather, I can remember it to the start, I said, I'd rather a young lad from Motherwell or Falkirk who is their dream to play for Scotland, to play in that team in front of me. Remember at the time in Ireland had all these players playing yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do it. I can't do it. I, 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 I couldn't do it. Not good enough for, I'm not good enough for England. Hold my hands up. So I, I'm going to go play for another country just because my dad's Scottish. I, you know, I love my dad and that. I love Rangers and that. But at the end of the day, I'm an Englishman. Yeah. So at the time, uh, Trevor, just that was it. He just, uh, you know, he just uh, wanted, wanted me out. And, you know, I wouldn't go until my, until actually did decide that I've got to get away because he was getting quite, I was getting quite uh, angry then with him, you know, and I remember, I remember I'd done him in training the once and he said to me, uh, he wouldn't let me train with the first team. He said, he said, uh, you're going to kick him. I said, I've never kicked one of my teammates in my life. I said, I'll run my knackers off. And I said, what are you going on about? He said, all right, and you can train just this once. What really like, really strange <laughs> behaviour. So I thought, right, this is my opportunity to kill him. So, uh, <laughs> Getting near him because he was that good. He was brilliant. Trevor Francis, honestly, he was a brilliant footballer. He was unbelievable. Even when he was old, he was brilliant. I couldn't get anywhere near him until someone fired a ball over to him. It was in the air. Oh, and I've just run. Oh, I've run as fast as I could. I've jumped in the air and I've kneed him straight on his back off the floor. And I've hit him. And all the players have just gone and turned away. And he's on the floor. He couldn't breathe. And I thought it broke his ribs. And uh, I just left him. That was it. Then I, that was he wouldn't let me play ever again. And I just left him on the floor. And uh, 
I think like a pent up frustration I've had how he was treating me um, for for that like, the nine months or something, rather than just be, be up front with me. Yeah. You know, that's what I wanted. Yeah. To tell me like, you know, listen, this is where you, this is, you're seeing happening for you, but he would never do it. And I'll, you know, I'll speak to him now, Trev, whenever I'm in his company, I'll, I'll have a chat with him and that, but there's ways of dealing with people. Yeah. yeah. Just... <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I think it's, whether it's football or, or in, in any any yeah. walk of life, the, yeah. tu- the, the, tu- the toughest way to deal with something is to actually have the balls to man-to-man to man and have it out. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what Baz did. Baz, Baz just said, listen, this is what it is. You ain't for me. I'll get you a move. Whereas Trev didn't do that. He was very strange, very odd. He did it at all the clubs he's been at. Mm. He, was, he did it. You know, he, he got, I'll tell you one quick story. He invited me out with all the players for on a Friday night to an Italian restaurant. Uh, in Harborne, and I'd been out on it all day in Digba for uh, promoting my uh, testimonial dinner because the club wouldn't do it, believe it or not. That's good, that's good of you, Dan Digba. <laughs> yeah, so, so every, pub I went, every pub I went in, I'd left a flyer there and had half a beer, right? So, so you imagine what it was like yeah. from 11 o'clock till 7 o'clock, right? So my wife was eight months pregnant at the time, and uh, we, we met at this restaurant, and I was absolutely cabbaged, and Dev's was my best pal at the club, he was cabbaged as well. And we're on the tables and all that, and it's all very posh. And, and uh, next thing you know, I'm on a table with Bruce and his wife, Gary Ablett and his wife, and it's all very nice, very posh. And the next thing you know, all the lights have dimmed. And uh, they start singing, happy birthday to you, and I'm looking. And next thing you know, the chef's come out with a big cake for Gary Ablett, I didn't know it was his birthday, in a villa top. He's wearing a villa top, like to wind everyone up. So he's come past me and he said something, and I've just gone for him, and I gone for the chef, <laughs> and I've chased him back into the kitchens, right? And I've, I've gone, hey, no, 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 I was, I was, I was drunk, and I, and I was just in his villa top, and I thought, and he's, you know, he's, he's done it to warm me up. So I've gone after him into the kitchens, and I've gone, oh no, and Trevor, just like this, oh no, like what's going on? And then Devs is on the table singing Celtic songs. I'm on the table singing Rangers songs. Oh, no. It was right, it was mental. It was like, oh god, it's nuts. And all the players, <laughs> I mean, what Trevor's wife slapped me, Ellen. God, you know, she rest in peace. She's a lovely lady. She gave me a dig. And uh, and then they were all going to Liberties after nightclub. Well, I had a life ban I did off Broad Street at the time. <laughs> and, and Trevor, I'll never forget it. He said, We're all going to Liberties now, but you can't come. He said to me, I said, I don't want to go anywhere. And he's pulled out this letter from his pocket, and I forget it. And he said, Look. You've got a life ban off Broad Street from the, these guys used to own it with Villa fans, or most of all the places we used to go, Liberty's, Sudie Bakers, Bakers, with Villa fans, Mark and Keith. And uh, they, they produced a letter saying that oh, everyone's welcome except for me. And I said, oh, I don't care anyway. So Dev says, if I ain't going, I'm not going. I said, Devs, just go and have a good time. So Devs had scored, I think, 19 goals. Was it that season? Yeah, yeah. Summer, a brilliant season. So Devs, bless his heart, he went to Liberties and uh, he uh, stripped off naked on the dance floor and just lay on the dance floor with no clobber on, right? Like, you can imagine what train protest uh, may not have been there. And imagine Trev. Oh, God. He was on oh, What's going on? Arvel, what's going on? Get him. Next, you know, Devs has been carted out the Liberties. Like, no clothes on board a doorman. And, um... That was the last time he played. He was never played for Blues again. And remember, and all the fans turned on Dev saying, "Oh, he's a don't want to leave for money and all this." Yeah, he's doing money. It was that night. It was that, that was that night. It was the final nail in the coffin for him as well. Do you know what I mean? And that's Bruce, who's our 
bar pal drinking partner. He said, don't worry, lads. He said, when I get a job, he said, I'm taking the pair of you. And we were like, that was our drinking buddy. And I was thinking, well, you know, he didn't take me, did he? To Sheffield United. But he took devs. Yeah, he said I was too bad. So, so obviously, yeah, just on, just from a playing side, you you played obviously quite yeah. a lot for, for Oxford. I, I mean, probably obviously not the same, but yeah. you, you were playing. How was that for you? What was that experience like? Um, I just couldn't wait to get back playing. Um, really small club, lovely fans, uh, lovely close knit club. Got on well with the fans uh, down there. Um, we got relegated on the last day of the season. I joined them in the bottom half of the table, bottom three. And we lost, lost, got relegated on the last day of the season. And then the squad broke up. Dean Windass, Phil Grooks, all the, the decent, really good players yeah. that we had all went to pastures new. And then you look at, you come back for the next season, you look at the squad, and it's all going back to Blues back in the 80s, thinking, all oh, these all kids, yeah. good kids, good kids, really good kids. Dean Whitehead went to play Premier League and Sunderland and that. Sam Ricketts, Welsh International. It, good, but you knew we were going to struggle. Just knew it. And it, obviously, the lack of investment, lack of money in the club, and we started to drop and drop, and it got it was hard. It was really, really hard. Um, and I, but I still got a real big soft spot for Oxford. You know, yeah. um, I didn't do well there in, in two years, or three, three and a half years, but it, I still got a lot of time for them. I remember, I remember we played Blues in a pre-season friendly at the Manor. And we, we, we run out, we run out, you know, and then uh, read your name out. Number eight pulled out. The Oxford fans booed me and the Blues fans cheered me. <laughs> the Blues fans with the away team. And I was there with the Blues fans going, good lads. Like, uh, <laughs> I was like, went up to them and the Oxford fans were fuming. But I, I thought, I, I killed me to play against Blues. Blues won 3 0. And um, I was mad. It was mad. I, I was awful playing against Blues. Even, even the season friendly killed me. There was a guy, what's his name now? Big, big, big black guy used to play for Blues up top, and he went to Oxford. And I went Inca, to the Francis. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, it was exactly it was the last it was the last well a last game at the Manor, and then yeah. it was absolute chaos. It was Blues at the yeah. pylons. It was just yeah. Mental. Yeah. And obviously, as soon as he got anywhere near the Blues fans, yeah, everybody's up and everyone's singing his name when he's playing for Oxford. Yeah, he's he's a bit of a ledge, Kev. I'm still in touch with him now. He's a uh... A police officer now in um in Canada, Calgary, and uh, he was a legend at Oxford when I when I joined them. And uh, you, you run out for a warm up, and all the fans behind the goal are doing all this sort of action. I'm thinking, what's oh, so in that too? And it's Big Kev, Big Kev's action, and Big Kev's doing this, and the whole of the end's doing this. I'm thinking, oh my god, <laughs> Big Kev was a legend there. You know, he was so difficult to play against. You yeah. know, yeah. yeah. Play with really because no one knew where the ball was going to go. No, only him. Um, tough, tough lad, like you know. Very so tough obviously, when your, your your career came came to an end, and you, you now obviously got a very successful uh, sort of coaching business. How did how did you get into that? Where did that come from? Was that something you always wanted to do, or not really? No, I've come back from honestly. But when I had to play in Cyprus, um, and it lasted four months there till I realised it was all mafia controlled, and I was going to end up with a bullet in my head. And uh, I ended up living there for a couple of years because my wife's um, English Cypriot like, so I was, stayed there for a couple of years and I loved it. Then you realise that you can only drink so much and um, yeah. I'd have been dead if I stayed there any longer. So I thought I'd come back and try and rebuild and uh, did I'd loads of different jobs, loads, postman, labouring, oh, loads, just loads of different jobs. 
And then my mates said, well, why don't you come and have a go coaching with us? Well, done with Tony Morley, Gary Shaw was doing the old Villa players. And yeah. so I'm have a go, see what it's like. And I got into it, I really liked it, you know. Yeah. And then um, I just started working for them. And then I uh, just took it on myself, you know. And, you know, uh, what I do like doing is getting young coaches coming through and uh, having them, placing them with me and, and working with kids and giving them a chance. Yeah. Nothing worse than a kid. I think it's so hard for kids now to, to get a foot in the door you know, in the coaching, um, you know, so I'd, if, if it's long to show interest and they're enthusiastic, um, I'll give them a go, you know yeah. what I mean? And just, you know, yeah. help them coach kids. Because it's hard for kids leaving school now. So many kids, like, you know, don't know what to do with themselves. Should I go into, and it's a great career. They can go to America and coach, get scholarships, um, you know, but the, the lads I've got work from are mostly Villa fans, which don't, you know, so not well, good. Well, I did say I did say to you before we started this. You, you know, we, you've coached a couple of my boys. Yeah. But, uh, I always used to look forward to on the, at the end of each session on a Saturday morning, there's <laughs> a fixture on in the afternoon, yeah. and you'd obviously focus on Blues and just spend yeah. ten minutes digging out all the Villa fans, <laughs> <and> the parents. <laughs> it's oh, absolutely brilliant. The amount of abuse I get now from kids, please ain't got a clue who I am, but the parents obviously know who I am. So the so the you know the, the kids just give me loads of grief. They only might be six or seven years of age. They ain't got a Scooby up there, but they, they don't have to give you some stick. You know what I mean? It's 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 mad, especially because we're doing pretty bad at the minute yeah. and they're doing well. You know, it, it is, uh, it's strange. But, you know, I, I love I love all the kids, the coaching the kids. Um, nothing better than watching them run around playing football like I used to do when I was that age. Um, and hopefully, if they want to go into football, run a career out of it, it's a long road. But they can do it. There's so many good kids out there, you know. Yeah. So many good players who, who yeah. don't don't kick on and think they're not good enough, not mentally right, get knocked back from a club, and that's it. You know, it's I do start them off a little bit too early. If I'm honest with you, thought seven, six, and seven. That it's too it's too early for me. Yeah, too early. Get them play with their mates, and you know, they're, they're like robots. You know, when yeah. I see them now, they're literally like little robots. They come back from their academies, back to me, been released. And I look at them, I think, what have you done? What they've done to these kids? Hmm. What like? I know, I know. But yeah. I, I think you, you obviously you make the comment that obviously we're not doing so well in Villa are, which I think is probably a, a decent sort of final <laughs> segue to um, yeah. what, what, what just 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 maybe a quick thought on this season and yeah. you know the manager and what, what's happening and what your what your what your view is at the moment. Oh dear! Well, I'm like all fans. We start off the season, don't we? With optimism and you know, new manager coming in, proven track record, getting clubs out the out the league. Knew we were going to be hard to beat, and I think for the first month or so, um, you know, we, we looked that way. We looked like you know horrible to play against, but then you realise we're not actually scoring. Yeah, you know, this can only go on for so long. Yeah. If you're not scoring, there's more pressure on the defence. You know, so I was looking. I you know, watched every game. I ain't missed the game, and uh. I've always, when I watch a game, I've got my anodine extras there and I've got my omeprazole there, my anodine for me a day, and my omeprazole for my stomach. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, I never slag off the players, believe it or not, you know, when I'm watching the games, I don't slag them off, but I'm getting to a point now where I'm getting very all right with it all. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I can't, yeah. I'm trying to look for a pattern, a pattern of play. You know, I don't sit there and slag him off on oh, what's he doing. I'm not trying to say, what's he doing when he gets the ball, where's he looking to hit? You know, it's only the last two games, Wickham and uh, Bournemouth, where I can actually see what we're trying to do. 
before like, we, we did get the ball wide, we'd have uh, Bella and uh, Sanchez getting the ball, coming inside, going back outside, inside. And the forward, whoever's playing up front, never knows when that ball's coming in the box, ever. You don't, how are you yeah. supposed to make a run into the box? You never know the ball. You should be working on that in training. Get in the ball, get out your feet, get in the box, if that's the way you want to play. So your forwards know where the ball, when it's coming in. And yeah. whoever's playing up front for us, they're, they're like doing doggy. You, you never know when that ball's coming in. So I am quite angry watching at the minute. I am. Yeah. The players don't go out there and don't want to do well. They want to win. Yeah. The direction the club's going at the moment uh, on the pitch, I'm, I, I can't fathom out where we're going. Yeah. I can't fathom out. I just want to see, I want to see more enthusiasm. We always look back. I don't like to see my centre-halves have the ball. What's happening is, if you notice, a lot of clubs are letting Ali Dean and another whoever's playing centre-off with him have the ball. Yeah. And not, yeah. You know, I don't not, like that. Especially when Mark Roberts had the ball. They were knocking 60-yard passes. There's, there's no way them two. That goes back to the Steve Cottrell days when teams used to mm. let your defensive centre-halves have it. What are they going to do with it? Where's our midfield? Yeah. Where, where are our midfield to, to, to dictate? Because yeah. we have anyone in there who can dictate. We've got, we've got lads in there who get the foot in. And run a bit, but we've got no one in there like a Barry Bannon, God forbid, if ever join us, but he's a lot. I'm not talking about that ilk. He's well, foot on the ball and dictate play. And Paul, bring... you, you mentioned Barry Bannon. Every single time we play against him, right? For mm-hmm. me, I mean, I've not to any standard, I've, I've managed for a number of years in kiddie leagues and whatever. Yeah. Barry Bannon, you just get someone like Sunnich, and this would be my only way I'd actually say yeah. Sunnich, you'd say, if he gets it, kick him. And when you yeah. get a yellow, we'll move somebody else onto him and he'll kick him. Because yeah. if you give yeah. him any room, he'll completely dictate the game. I mean, he does it every single time we play. Yeah. And we've got him again in about three weeks' time. But he always steps up for Blues, doesn't he? You know, yeah. let's put one on him, first five. You don't like Blues, Barry Bannon. He still drinks with the load of the villa from Kingston in Great Bar area. And, and they were, you know, I know there are a lot of lads he knocks about with and he, he really doesn't like Blues at all. You know, so when he does play against us, yeah. he really turns it on. Yeah, yeah. He's a, really good, he's a really good player. He's a brilliant player. Definitely. So I, I see more direction on the pitch. I, I can't have this one up front. But I come from an era when Baz, when I was with Baz, uh, in with Trevor, you played two up front. It's a go for it. We're, we're not playing Real Madrid or Man City every week. We're playing teams like Barnsley and two, one up front. If the good quality ball is not going into that forward, right? If it's going up there, we've got no runners going beyond. We've got no one with legs other than Gary Gardner, really. Who can who can uh, kick on beyond beyond the, the front man? Just go for it, go for it. Get good quality balling. I and mean, we all played with like Steve Claridge up front and whoever was up front with him. He used to work his socks off, hold the ball up, nasty to defenders. You know, he, he was a brilliant, brilliant player to have in your team. Yeah. Right. To me, just go with two up front and have a go. Yeah. It's football is is so easy, but now in these days, I'm thinking about this this morning. It's so tactical. You see, every manager with a little notepad and all this, and right, got, yeah. like, sitting above him, like with computers, telling the manager how many times have passed it with the left foot, how many times have passed it with the right foot, how many kilometres have run. They can't pass a ball. Yeah. Why <laughs> don't you spend ten hours on the training pitch, learn how to pass a ball ten yards? Yeah. You can run yeah. all day. Can they play football? Can you actually pass the ball? Good. You look at the first touch of a lot of the players now, especially in our team, when that ball fired into them, it's, the control link goes up there. Yeah. It's never... It's, they're always fighting to get control of the ball other than Sanchez and probably Bella, right? Yeah. They're always fighting. They never look comfortable. So, to me, it's, it's it, football's a simple game, but us, you know, we make it difficult. 
We yeah, make it yeah. difficult. The, the system that we're playing at the minute, the four, was it four? We're we playing at the minute, four, two, three, one at the minute, are we? Yeah. Well, yeah, sort of. Yeah, I mean, that, that's his. Whoever's playing up front, I mean, I know Scott Hogan's getting slaughtered to start of the season. He weren't working hard enough. It weren't happening for him. But he played on his own up front for Brentford, right? There were a lot of good players around him, a lot of good quality players around him. And if you get the ball up and it's good quality, you've got a lot of players running off and you've got. Uh, the movement up there at the minute was so static. It's only the Bournemouth game. For Bournemouth first half, yeah. we could have been three or four up. We played yeah. really well. Definitely. Yeah. We played really well, you know, and it was good to see. The players are there, right? We've got the players there who could do it, but all of a sudden we go back, we revert back to these ro robotic football to me. Yeah. You know, let, let them off the leashes and let them go and have a go. Mm. I, I'm not for one with one up front. If you've got Harry Kane in the team, well, Alan Shearer. Yeah. Right. Then you've got someone like that. Okay. We're, we're Birmingham City in the Championship. We've lost a lot of games this season because teams are outrunning us. We've got better quality. They want know, it more. When they're on the ball. Right. They'll say they want it more. If you look at the Barnsley game, Barnsley were a young a team of young, young kids. All they did was run, run and run. And when they were on the ball, right, they did things with the ball. Like Alex Moe yeah. in the midfield, the little left, left, left footer, the little ones around the corner, get the ball back, keep the ball, keep the ball. They were so comfortable in possession. You can't tell me that we look comfortable in possession. No. I don't think we look comfortable in possession. No, I think the players can't wait to get rid of the ball, except for Bella and Sanchez when it goes wide. Yeah. Well, they can do a bit on the ball. I don't know. I don't know where, where we go. Um, we're in a red, as, once again, six year on the bounce and we're in a relegation battle. Um and the only good, the only thing about it is we're used to being a relegation battle. Mm. Um, yeah, it doesn't bode well, does it? No, yeah. I, I, I think I think Luton are the, are the same as, as when you say Barnsley. Yeah. They are. They always look to play it. They're not. They're not blessed with any you know, amazing players, but they yeah. can look it around. It yeah. reminds me of us under Rowett. Like you look at that team. You you know Gleeson Davis. Donaldson, Cotsworth, they're not all fantastic players, but they worked hard and they got the job done. Yeah. And we, we played well in those couple of seasons under Rower. And I think Luton in particular definitely reminds me, uh, especially with having mm. the number 10 like we did with Terrell and stuff. So. Yeah. But he can't run, Terrell. He's got two against him. He don't do enough for me, if I'm honest. If you're in that position, like, like a Lee Bowie who can run all day and get up and down the pitch or put, get your foot in, be, be, you know, be nasty, be... All it is, is it, it's confidence. A lot of it's confidence. Yeah. When, when your team are doing all right, everyone wants the ball. You want to be on the ball. When teams aren't doing well, when you're down at that bottom, you watch them. Not everyone wants the ball all the time. It's so easy not to make a, a five-yard angle. It's all right, you can run 10 yards that way. But to receive the ball under pressure five yards, when you're down at the bottom... The other players, the only human beings, they go into a shell. They'd rather you knock it long because they don't yeah. want to lose the ball in that midfield. Do you understand? Yeah. They don't want yeah. to lose it. And where we're at at the minute, it, it, it is quite mind-numbing to watch it. Yeah, definitely. Listen, I'll go out every day. I'm walking my dogs and I'm, I'm speaking to Blues fans, Villa fans, Albion fans. I said, did you watch us the other day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what do you think? And but they're all saying the same. It's, it's, it's monotonous. It's, there's, there's no movement. Um, it's it's hard. It's a hard watch. It's a hard, really, really hard and watch. And I think that there have been players that have that have come in, 
and shown a couple of signs. I mean, I quite like agree when he came in because he was so yeah. simple, just so simple, just five yard mm. passes, you know, give and goes, just trying to do something to just keep the possession of Bill play and be positive. And then he gets bombed out. Halalovic, I'm desperate for him to be fit just so he can come in, like you said, if he can just come and not, not even do more of a Grealish role and just say, right, you haven't got a position, just when mm. Harley Dean's got the ball, just take it off him for Christ's sake and just yeah. pick it up and build the play. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, for me, yeah, very worrying times. And I think just to maybe... Yeah. Just uh, lastly from uh, me quickly as well, um, <clears throat> one more, <clears throat> I suppose one more question. Um would be obviously you're a blues legend amongst fans, you know, virtually everyone knows you. Um, I suppose, would you ever go back and do anything differently, or are you happy with the way everything turned out? Uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would have done a lot of the things, but I, I didn't live the life of a, of a footballer, I was out of control. Um, and it's only like, I don't drink anymore. I've been five years, I haven't had a drink or any of the things that happened to me over the years. Things well documented, I think. Um, I would I would, I would, would live my life differently. I would. Mm. But at the time, looking back now, I was, I was, I just wanted a belonging and I found belonging in, in certain organisations, so we say, and uh, things I used to get up to. And that was my belonging. Um, you know, I was a loose cannon. Uh, I would do things differently, but there's certain things um, I, I loved about my career. You know, I, I really did. And playing for Blues, um, you know, they tried to get rid of me on numerous occasions, but they couldn't get rid of me. I just wanted to start, so I didn't make any money at the game because it wasn't a <laughs> regret. Yeah, I should have gone very, very early and made some money at the game, but that's what it's all about, I was told. But um, yeah, there are, there are big things within my career, which I, which I do regret. You know, it's really, really silly. And mm. Just one, one last thing. I sort of asked, um, actually, Percy uh, last week, just looking at the side that we've got now, yeah. and obviously you played with a ton of blues. I mean, certainly in the very fries, probably about yeah. 2,000 just over that couple of years. If you could pick one player that you played with at blues and you could put them into the side that we've got at the moment, who do you think yeah. would it be and who would have the biggest impact on that team? Mark Ward. Mark Ward, yeah, midfielder. Absolutely. Absolute, unbelievable player. Coming towards the end of his career with Blues, but what a, what a player. Yeah. Never wasted a ball. Little pocket rocket. And he could drink for fun. No, I would 100% <laughs> agree with that. He was a, a brilliant player for Blues. He was, he, honestly, to play with him in the same team, he, he's a lovely geezer as well. You know, I know he's had his problems. I still speak to him and, that, and uh, what a player. What yeah. a very, very good player. You know, and I know watching also more Barry Ferguson as well. Yeah. How we, how we miss someone like that in the middle of the park just to dictate, dictate the play. There's, yeah. there's a lot of players, but, but Mark Ward, who I played with, would be Mark Ward to, to control, you know. Yeah. And Daishi, I love Daishi as well, wow. to get in there and bash everyone yeah. like he did to, used to do to us. <laughs> a proper, big, horrible captain um, who's, a, who's, a, who's an animal. Well, Paul, thank, I, that has been absolutely... Oh, that's brilliant, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. fantastic. And I know that lots of Blues fans that... I think there's a generation that have probably heard quite a few things, a bit of myth and legend about yeah. Paul Faye. Yeah. And then, a lot and then a, it's all lies. And, yeah. and a lot that, that were there for the for the ride and personally 
Um, yeah, I mean, you, you without that injury, we probably wouldn't have kept hold of you, to be honest, mate. And then, yeah. you know, after that, forged a, a great career. So, from Blues fans of my generation, thank you yes, for everything you did for the Thanks. club. And really appreciate your time today. And, um, no problem, mate. Yeah, all, let's all and, and yeah, enjoy your commentary as well. So, keep, keep, keep the good work up, mate. And, uh, I'll stop doing the commentary anyway. Okay. I can't do it. I can't keep me trap shut. I always wanted to swear all the time. Oh, mate, to be honest, I wouldn't have given it. They're not blues fans. I'll get so irate. Um, and I, and I, I like to speak my mind, and I don't think you can when you're... No, uh, I, I would Well, I, I think there's a... Darren Purse said the same, really. Like, he couldn't really speak what he wanted to say. You can't, you can't say what you want to say. No, it's not for me, if I'm honest with you. I'm a, I'm a fan, and when, it, you know, when, I, when you watch the game... It, and then you've got to talk about it. You just want to cry. Well, the the, inv- <laughs> the invitation is always there to come and join us when we do a review of the game. So I might hold you yeah. to that, mate. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a problem at all. Uh, you know, I just I just hope to God we stay up this season and uh, we can kick on because I'm, yeah. I'm worried about the next generation of Blues fans, the little ones coming through, whose whose dads have just had enough. You know, around yeah. me where I live. You know, the, the little kids and that, that you don't see them wearing blues tops now. The dads are blues fans because the dads have just had enough. They've lost all interest. And it's worrying. Yeah. It's worrying to no. me. Just want us back up there, man, big time. Yeah. Right, mate. Thank, thank you so nice. much. We'll leave it there. Cheers, so, everybody, that was um, just, you know, I would say that I don't think we'll probably do a better interview on this channel ever again. <laughs> We've survived <laughs> no work. But, everybody, thanks for downloading. Remember, um, you can download this pod on iTunes. Please leave a comment and rate, uh, you know, what, what you think. It means a lot to us. And, it's, uh, you know, go to our website at bluesfocuspod.co.uk and all the podcasts will be on there. So tuck in and enjoy. And fingers crossed, next time we are on, we'll be talking about a positive victory for the Blues. But for now, thanks very much and keep right on. Sports Social Podcast Network. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 